Welcome to Bear Books Podcast. I'm Daisy Ray. And I'm April Berry. This is the podcast that introduces indie authors to their readers. Together, we're looking for our next favourite author. Welcome to Bear Books Podcast. Today, we have got an extra special co-host, not just myself and April with you today for our Christmas special. We've got Dean Wrigley with you. Hello, Dean. Hello, Daisy. How are you? I am absolutely fantastic. Thank you very much. I'm proper getting my Christmas on, as they say. Hi, Dean. Welcome to Bear Books Podcast. Hello, April. Thank you for having me. It's a, it's a joy to be here. Are you uh, ready for Christmas then? Yes, I'm going to be on my own. There's a lot of that this year. Yeah, there is. I wonder why. <laughs> all, all my family are down in Bedford, so I'm not going to see them. Oh, Are you going to Zoom them, Dean? My dad's not on the internet, so um, ah. I'll, just, I'll just give him a phone call. Proper old school. Indeed, yes. Old school stuff. Roll on 2021. Oh, that'll be another lockdown then. <laughs> well, you are so cheerful. On our Christmas special today, we have been writing flash fiction stories, especially for Christmas. Whatever comes into your head, as long as there is some loose connection to Christmas, that is good enough. <laughs> so we've got three stories to read to you today. Dean is, has written and will read his own the same with April and myself. So we've got three stories to read to you. So I can't wait to keep you entertained today. Who should we start with, folks? Dean, do you want to go first or you, April? I'm happy to go first. Does yours have a title, April? Yeah, it's called Christmas Dinner. Okay. Clive stared longingly out of the window. Snow was falling heavily from the sky, swirling and dancing before it hit the ground. He stared at the garden. No playing out today, then, he thought to himself. He loved the taste of the flakes on his warm tongue, melting like a starburst. But his mum always scolded him when he came in from playing on the lane outside the house, covered in large white flakes, his coat soaking wet from running about, his legs sinking into the candy floss-like drifts that gathered in the hedges in the lane outside his house. He wasn't going to chance getting into trouble this year, He was a lot older and smarter than last year. He continued to stare out of the window, watching people walking their dogs up the lane into the nature reserve, his nature reserve. He'd spent many a happy hour in the seasons of last year. Spring was his favourite when all the wildlife woke up from their hibernation. He knew it was the time of year when all the babies were born, parents out of their nests foraging for food to sustain the life they'd just brought into the world. Clive was an inquisitive boy, His interest in nature, he thought, was commendable. Not many boys his age had the knowledge he did about wildlife. He loved the babies, his mum not so. This puzzled him as he knew she loved animals. The nature reserve was his playground. He was a bit scared of some of the dogs that arrived there. They always wanted to play with him, but he was wary of this. However, some of them really, really scared him. One of Clive's favourite hobbies was climbing trees. He knew the best ones to climb. Summer was the best season for this. The leaves provided him a nice hiding place, thick bushy canopy over the nature reserve where he could observe the birds flying high above, tweeting and calling for a mate. Clive knew what this meant. Clive also knew that the snow heralded the arrival of Christmas. There was always a tree in the house, brightly coloured with baubles and lights. When he was younger, he adored the sparkling balls on the tree. He even tried to play football with them, his favourite sport. Another time he was scolded by his mum. Clive was lost in his memories. He didn't see his sister come up behind him and smack him on the head. 
he turned and whacked her back just at the same time as his mum came into the room. Here we go, he thought. It's not enough. I can't go out to play. My sister's now getting me into trouble. After Clive's mum had finished telling him off for bullying his sister, he turned back to the window. A slow smile spread across his face. The snow was stopping. All was a chance, Clive asked his mum if he could go out, never thinking for a moment she would relent, but she did. Clive could see her mouth moving, but he never heard a word. He was too excited to be going out into the garden, another of his favourite places. Stay in the garden, his mum said. Don't be going into the nature reserve. I don't want you coming back muddy and wet. Clive waited till his mum shut the door and he made a run for the reserve. She'll never catch me, thought. She's old and can't run as fast as me. When Clive got into the reserve, he heard chirping. Some of the winter birds were on the hunt for food after the snowfall. It looked beautiful in the reserve. The tree branches had all got ridges of snow on them that fell in a flurry to the floor whenever a bird landed on the branch. Clive was intrigued at this. He spotted the robin. This was his mum's favourite bird. She was always filling the bird feeder and watching those ones and the ones with the blue feathers. He wasn't sure what they were called. Suddenly, Clive noticed a starling in the bushes, just past the entry to the reserve. He stopped in his tracks. These were his favourite birds. Patiently, he watched the starling hop from the bush to the ground, which had been sheltered from the snowfall by the leaves. Charles didn't like the bush. Many a time he'd been pricked and scratched as he was running through the reserve with his brother. The starling used its beak to move the soil, looking for worms. It had its back to Clive. It didn't notice he was watching. All that was going through Clive's mind at this moment was, all I need is a well-timed jump, just one extended claw, and there's my Christmas dinner. Not satisfied with a turkey you're going to cook him then? He's got languistines for Christmas dinner. That's it? Oh, I love that it's from Clive's point of view. Yeah, he's a bit of a spoiled kitty. Oh, not off. That's about my cat, Dean. Well, it's not. he's not actually my cat. Well, he wasn't my cat originally. He actually was Daisy's cat originally, but he decided to come and live with me. I used to live on the same street as April up the road and Clive used to jump out of the bedroom window, take himself off down the street and go to April's. Yeah. He abandoned me. He did. <laughs> nice story though. Yeah. I mean, he does, he loves it. He's kind of loosely based on truth. You know, I'm not overly keen when he brings babies home. It doesn't impress me. He loves it out here because I do live next door, but one to a nature reserve. So he, he does have lots and lots of a playground up there to play in and he's always out and about in the day up there. I love that you refer to yourself as old and knackered. No, well, I am. <laughs> I was actually on the day job and he was staring out the window at the rain. Yeah. And I just thought, yeah, that's what's kind of going through his head because he got this little wistful longing look. How hard did you find it to fit a beginning, a middle and an end of a complete story into basically a page and a bit? Once I got going, not too bad. But I'd had, lo- I'd had lots of practice. Whenever you apply for a job in the organisation that I work for, you've got to put your life into 250 words. So it came quite easy. I'd got, what, 810 words on that. So I found it relatively simple once I started. Not so the flash fiction that I've started writing for the, for the series, but maybe I'll get, I'll, I'll get better. So how did you two find writing something so concise? Difficult. I get carried away with the writing process. There's too much detail and then I have to rein it in and edit it to death to make it fit into the constraints that we've set. What about you, Dean? I found it fairly straightforward because you, you only mentioned it to me on Sunday, I think it was. And um, basically, I, w- I, I went away that Sunday evening and just sort of wrote it straight away. Yeah. 
We have a professional. I had that. I had seven hundred and seventy-seven words written at first, and when I sent them, when I sent the first draft to you, I've added a few more words since and um, made it read better. Hopefully, over eight hundred words. I'm, I'm still within the thousand word limit, which is good. But I, I actually, <laughs> I really enjoyed the. Um, I really enjoyed it. I've not done that before. I, th- I think I, I must have had the inklings of the story there all the time. I must be able to write it so, so quickly. So, yeah, um, yeah, I, I actually enjoyed the process, so it was good fun. Something different. Talking to you about it when you were writing it, it changed a little bit after you were practising reading it aloud. So does it change the style of the story, having a written story and having a, a read-out loud yeah, story? Yes, so you, you, you tend to... Um, but I, I found that I'd, I'd written it in a sort of long way. I was using was not as opposed to wasn't. And and once I started reading it out loud, I, I realised that, no, that's that's that that's not how we speak. So, uh, as I say, I went through and did a review and made it made it read better, let's say. It's probably still not 100% perfect, but it's it's okay. It's, it's almost there. There are probably a couple of words that, that need to be added or taken away, but, yeah. Anyway, it's it's a, it's a, it was my first time. It's a learning process, so hopefully, if you like this one, um, I'll do some more for you. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant! So I'm interested to hear it. Then, are you happy to read it for us? Can I just can I just say, Dean, before you start reading it, that you said something there that I found quite profound. To be fair, when Daisy asked you on Sunday, and it came to you in a, in, in so uh, once you started, you couldn't stop, and I found that as well. And as well as it being called flash fiction, the inspiration comes to you in a flash as well, because it's not something I don't think that you can think a lot about. It has to just bang and hit you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think, I think as, as you hear the story, the um, the Christmas theme was, uh, was was tentative in the end, really. It, it, it starts and ends in Christmas, let's say. It's the story of, of Kitty. Kitty's 2020, and Kitty is my cat. So it's another cat story. Last year, I remember watching the lights on the silly plastic tree change colour from yellow to green to red to orange to blue to purple. It was something I'd done at this time of year for as long as I can remember. Every few days, Uncle Dean would take Mummy Ellie out for an hour or so and return laden with goods containing food. I would wait for him to deposit the bags in the kitchen and then flop to the floor, roll over and allow him to tickle my tummy. It was our regular playtime. Mummy Ellie didn't like playing with me. Over the winter, I noticed a change in Mummy Ellie. She lost a lot of weight and seemed to be getting weaker, and I tended to annoy her more often. I would bring her a mouse as a gift, but it just upset her even more. Uncle Dean would come round and either catch it or remove its corpse. No matter what I did, I couldn't please her. Uncle Dean would come round more often bringing her little sweets that she always ate with a glass of water. He got to a point where he wouldn't even come inside. He would just leave the bags outside the door and Mummy Ellie would pick them up when he had gone. I missed my tickles. One day in early spring, Uncle Dean came around, put me in a carrier and took me away. I thought I was being taken to the vets, but the journey only lasted a minute or so and I was carried into a room I didn't know. He let me out of the carrier and I crept out cautiously. Mummy Ellie was nowhere to be seen. I must have been catnamped. I ran off and found somewhere to hide, to contemplate, 
and take stock of the situation. Eventually, I crept out and started exploring, looking for a way out. I found the cat flap, but it wouldn't open for me. I jumped on the windowsill. No escape there either. Nothing was familiar except my full food bowls, food and biscuits. Did Mummy Ellie know I was here? Surely she'd be looking for me. Uncle Dean was home every day. He hardly ever left my sight. He ignored my pleas to be allowed outside and I had to do my toilet in the litter tray, something I hadn't done for years. Oh, the indignity of it all. One time I almost made an escape. It was night time. Uncle Dean was in bed and I got a whiff of fresh air coming from the window in his room. I made a jump through the curtain and found the window open, but the gap wasn't wide enough for me to squeeze through. I'd been thwarted in my escape attempt. While I was at the window, I noticed there was something else in the air. A couple of weeks later, he allowed me to wander in the garden. As I walked along, the air breezed into my face. I drew it in and recognised the scent. It was the scent of home. Mummy Ellie was close by. I made a dash for it, through the gap in the fence, over the road and through the gardens of the house opposite. And there I was in familiar territory. I knew exactly where I was, so I ran around to the door to tell Mummy Ellie I was home. She would be so pleased to see me again, or so I thought. But when I got there and she saw me, she got very upset. I heard her talking, and a few minutes later, Uncle Dean turned up with the box and carried me away again. She was in on it. She didn't want me near her anymore. I was sad and resigned myself to my prison. I was locked in the house again for a week or so, and then something strange happened. Uncle Dean let me go out on my own. The cat flap started working for me, and I could come and go as I pleased. One day there was a knock at the front door. I heard a familiar voice, and I looked. I found Sister Gemma and Uncle Dean hugging, and I noticed the wetness in their eyes. The familiar scent in the air seemed to be fading day by day. One day Uncle Dean brought in a cardboard box and put in the living room. Gradually an aroma came from it that I recognised. It was a scent of home. Mummy Ellie was in that cardboard box. I scratched and I scratched at it until Uncle Dean opened it and let me look inside. Mummy Ellie wasn't there. Uncle Dean closed up the box and took it away. One rainy summer day, Uncle Dean left house dressed in black. I've been here for many months now. The days are getting shorter and things aren't so bad anymore. Today, the cardboard box was fetched from the cupboard and something taken out. And now here I am, laying contentedly on the sofa, resting my head on Daddy Dean's leg, watching the lights on the silly plastic tree change colour from yellow to green to red to orange to blue to purple. I like that. That's rather good. I know it's a, a sad tale, but it's, it is good. I do like that. It's very emotional, Dean. It is. Poor Kitty. Poor Uncle Dean. <laughs> yeah, she's, she's had a change in her life over the last year, definitely. But at least, at least she's with somebody she knows. And you were familiar to her before yeah. she moved. Yeah, there's continuity there, especially with the tree as well. She, she's seen that, as I say, for as long as she's been alive. So um, I have it now and, she'll, and she's here. So, yeah. How old is Kitty Dean? She's nine. Is she? Yeah, she's nine, yeah. It's hard for for cats to change, I think, as they get older. I yeah. can see why, like in your story, you hinted how difficult it was for Kitty. I think that that is spot on. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, trying to see it from her point of view is, uh, especially with, with her living so near nearby, 
as I say, just across yeah. the road, really. Um, and it was it was obviously going to happen because she was, she was going to get us the sense of home and, and dash off. So, uh, so yeah. But, yeah, especially with it being so close. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. She's she's done well. She's she's settled in now. She she knows where she is and she's home. And I think she appreciates that something has happened to to Ellie um, and that she's yeah. not around anymore. Yeah. And how's Daddy Dean coping with it all and Kitty? Daddy Dean's coping fine with it. Although having said that, it's been locked down. We've been stuck yeah. indoors for months on end, and there were a few days that I actually went to work, so I left her here during the daytime. But yeah. she, she's never had any real length of time where I've not been in the house with her. So it will it will eventually come as a shock when we when we're allowed out eventually. Uh, I have to go back yeah. to work every day and and go out in the evenings. So I'm missing all my life. It is, yeah, and, and I think I think Dean that that's going to be the case for all animals. I don't think anybody's really considered how bad it's going to be for all the cats and all the dogs that have had their owners at home for what is essentially now nine months. Because we can rationalise it as humans, but they can't. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Perhaps Kitty thinks that's the norm. That's the norm for humans. So yeah. we're always at home. So uh, so it all comes as a shock to her when when um, it changes, which hopefully it will do next year. Yeah. Uh, yeah hopefully just have to manage that manage that when it, when we come to it as i get back into my life from kitty's point of view i know it's it's very very hard for all of us but from kitty's point of view it's kind of worked out in her favor that she has your time dedicated to her right now yes and that she'll have a while for that so yes. she's yes. got this really long bedding in period where she just gets used to you and you are her human now yeah, she knows. She knows she's home now. Yeah, yeah. She, she knows she's home. Cats are a little bit independent. Get used to their independence. So you, when you go back to work, days, are you gonna take the dog with you? I might have to. I mean, I'm only working in the attic at the moment, and she sits at the bottom of the stairs and cries. But when I go down for a comfort break, if you want to be nice about things, why don't you take her to the toilet with you? Privacy, maybe. She can wait for five minutes. It's fine. <laughs> On the occasion when she does come into the bathroom, I know nobody really needs to know this, but she's not a very big dog and she's just like a little bundle of fluff, kind of looks a bit like an Ewok. And she'll just, she'll sit there and then she'll like put paws up in the air and she sticks her paws <laughs> in my pants <laughs> while I'm peeing. And I really don't need that in my life. She is adorable though. It's like, what are you doing, mummy? What are you doing? Can I come? <laughs> Can I help? She's adorable. I wouldn't be without her ever. <laughs> The next time it happens, you need to take pictures. Maybe not. I think my story is about to lower the tone, to be fair. <laughs> but before we get on to mine, I'd just like to say, Dean, that I love the way you start and end your story with the lights. Yeah, thank you. I think that's amazing. You start at Christmas and you end at Christmas, and it's exactly the same lights. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. Thank you very much, Dean. Nobody should let their children listen to my story. I am about to ruin Christmas for <laughs> right. so people. My story was inspired by, I don't know if anyone remembers this, but years ago now there was a film about an airplane crash and these people were stranded on the side of a mountain or wherever and they were there for quite a long time and they ended up having to eat one another to survive. Oh, great. <laughs> what, what was this bit about it, it having to be a Christmas story? or, or... It is a Christmas story. It's got all the usual characters. <laughs> I'm sorry to say. <laughs> They, they didn't eat one another. They ate the dead people. <laughs> yes, I will tell my story then. 
If you're sitting comfortably, I will begin. Santa had the rosiest of rosy cheeks and a warm glow from the brandy. He was looking forward to a full tummy from the meat he was about to eat. Donna and Blitzen sat on the side of the mountain, either side of Santa, watching the flames flickering from the open fire, mouths watering despite the guilt and the pain. Santa used a broken piece of the sleigh to rip off a slice of the cooked meat and offered it to Rudolph. Donna was shocked. She looked at Blitzen, outraged on her behalf, and turned to glare at Santa. Why does he get served first? I don't see why Blitzen shouldn't have all of that meat. It is her leg after all. Santa didn't even have the good grace to pretend surprise. He smirked at the two reindeer, reminding them that Rudolph was the only one of them that was still in one piece with no broken bones. I know who's naughty and who's nice, so just be nice. Donna was so angry, she knew that if the crash hadn't broken her front legs, she would be up now and skewering his rosy-faced fatness on her antlers. Santa had them believe that the sleigh crashed because of turbulence that made a present jump out of the sack, blocking his vision, as if more like the ever-present aroma of brandy over the last few months. In his stupidly jolly voice, Santa slurred, Aren't the stars glorious this evening? Ho, ho, ho. At least we're still alive. Donna glanced at Blitzen and they both shivered at the thought that Blitzen may not stay that way for long. They tried not to look at the pile of already stripped reindeer bones. They had died in the crash and if the rest of them wanted to live, well, they had to keep the strength up. Mrs Claus and the elves are still looking for us, I'm sure. Donna wasn't so sure. If she was Mrs Claus, she'd have changed the locks and raised a glass to toast her freedom days ago, but she was too weak and cold to argue the point. After the crash, they had survived for almost a week on Christmas chocolate, mince pies, candy canes and mistletoe. When they were all exhausted and help had not arrived, they'd made the awful decision to eat the flesh of the poor dead reindeer. Santa thought it rather delicious, if a little tough. Donna, Blitzen and Rudolph called it cannibalism. Blitzen's leg was the last of the meat, so they all knew the end was coming one way or another. Donna wouldn't put it past the jolly old lush to wake them in the morning to the news that Blitzen had died in the night, and it would be such a shame to let her death go to waste when her meat could save them a while longer to wait for rescue. Frosty the snowman could find us and take us home any minute now. Ho, ho, ho. Isn't that right, Rudolph? Santa positively beamed, waving his fat arms at the nearest horizon. Donna was about to snort at him in his stupid exuberance when she spotted biscuits popping out of Santa's pocket as he waved his arms. It occurred to her that Santa really should have been much thinner by now, positively skin and bone. He's been holding out on them, the selfish old lush was still as fat as ever. Donna started dragging her antlers across the ground to sharpen them to a point. Hey, Santa, come over here. Yeah, you've just about ruined Christmas for every child there is. Now I know how a turkey feels. Is it something you watched just recently? <laughs> I saw somebody talking about the film online somewhere and I thought, ooh, what if that was Santa and the reindeer? <laughs> Stroke a genius. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, I'm so glad that's not based on real life. Shan't read it to the grandchildren. No, I wouldn't if I were you. 
you know, if there are any children out there listening, it's not true. It's just a story. Santa will still be coming on Christmas Eve. Probably. It was rather fun, actually, to write. It was rather fun to listen to, albeit a bit gruesome. It was it was clever. I have got to say that was clever. I'm not convinced it's 100% original just because it's like another story, but reinvented for the purposes of Christmas. I, I, I would say it's 100% original. You do realise that Santa is nigh on like 6,000 years old or something, isn't he? Well, it's diamond, I mean, isn't it? <laughs> oh, you just saying that so you don't have to buy presents for your grandchildren. <laughs> I will never let them listen to this podcast ever. <laughs> Charles Dickens had a slightly different idea. <laughs> yes, yes, he did, yeah. I can't wait till next year to find out what he tastes like. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> Chapter two. <laughs> well, Santa goes shopping for new reindeer. <laughs> or the reindeer goes shopping for a new Santa. <laughs> yeah. Well, it certainly maybe certainly a different take on a on a Christmas story, uh, Daisy. It was it was interesting. <laughs> I just worry about your macabre mind. You wait till you read the next two. Ooh. I wrote the January sales writing prompt a while ago. And I followed that one up by the second one, which is called Just Sick of It. The first one was really hard to write January sales because you're starting from nothing. I'd not written flash fiction before and it's difficult to contain yourself. So I found that one quite difficult to write. The second one, Just Sick of It, I found that much easier, even though it's on the longer side. It's still within the word count, but I kept the characters and expanded them to do other things. So that made it easier because I already knew who they were. So I think that helps. This one, I found it just fl- it flowed. I wrote it in under an hour, that one. Crikey. You and Dean really were flying with these Christmas ones, weren't you? Yeah, but I mean, my inspiration come from my bored cat. Both of you with your cats. <laughs> Perhaps it's a, it was a story the cat wanted to write. Yes, yes. It was guiding your mind. Indeed, guiding your mind, projecting its soul into your inspiration. Cats are a little bit like that, though, aren't they? They are, yeah. Yeah, they're not as simple and pleasurable as dogs. I think cats are a little bit more sinister. The word I was looking for was conniving. <laughs> Yeah, can't argue that, really. So basically, we've, we've had a starling and Santa for, for Christmas dinner. For Christmas dinner, yeah. <laughs> Yum. <laughs> so what does Christmas lockdown look like for everybody then? It's going to be a very quiet one at home with Carol and Ruby. Well, mine, mine will be quiet as well, but I've decided I'm going to get a turkey and... Well, right, so a turkey. I'm going to get some turkey slices, let's say. <laughs> <laughs> turkey slices, cranberry and potatoes and you know all the all the trimmings and have a have a have a Christmas Christmas on my own, but have a proper Christmas on my own. Yeah, I think that's a wonderful idea. Treat yourself, why not? It's still Christmas Day. That's right. Yeah. Do it, Dean. I've got a housemate and we normally sort of do our own thing on Christmas Day, but this year um it's Christmas dindins together. So we've I mean, I've I've done a, quite a bit of planning, bought quite a lot of food. Um, as Daisy will attest to, I'm a demon in a supermarket. Oh, if there was a gold medal to be awarded for ridiculous amounts of money spent on food, April would win hands down. It has been wonderful talking all things Christmas and reading Christmas stories. A little bit unusual, not quite what I was expecting, but I like that aspect of it. So I would just like to say a massive thank you to Dean for joining us today and co-hosting with us and for reading his story. Very emotional and wonderful. Thank you, Dean. 
Yeah, thanks. Thanks ever so much, Dean, for that. Um, it was really enjoyable. Like uh, Daisy says, it was an emotional story, but I really, really liked it. And thanks ever so much for co-hosting with us and putting up with us two idiots. Hang on a minute. <laughs> Do you mean you as two idiots? Rude. Well, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure doing it, and uh, I hope you enjoy, can join you on future ones. Definitely. Merry Christmas and uh, and a happy new year, and see you in the future. Merry Christmas, Dean. Merry Christmas, Dean. I really enjoyed those stories, and I actually loved writing that flash fiction. I've got to say, it actually took me back to doing my O-levels. How can you remember that far back? Oi. Sorry. Sorry. Merry Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was, because that's what we had to do for our English language O-level. We had to write 12 stories, and they got to have a beginning, they got to have a middle, and they got to have an end. And it, it was very, very reminiscent of that. So I, I, yeah. I, re- I really, really enjoyed it. I thought Dean's was was lovely. It was it was very, very emotive. And I think to write a good flash fiction, you've got to have, what's the word I'm looking for? Those words in that make you sort of think in your mind that you're going off at a tangent somewhere. So you're putting, you're adding little bits to the story yourself. Am I making sense? Because I don't normally. No, none whatsoever. No, I didn't think I was. Are you adding these things to the story or in your head so that they're not in the story so you can keep within your word count? Well, I'm, what I'm trying to, what I were trying to do was portray across to the reader what I had in my head. So I wasn't adding it to the word count, but I was hoping that they would get from what I was writing yeah. the inference of everything behind it. And, but but that, I suppose that's the essence of a really, really good story. A lot of authors that do bit that. I understand. Good. good. I'm glad I made some sense. It's just like making the most of the words that you do use yeah. so that you don't have to use extra words to try and make the same point. So just yeah. being canny with what you're saying. Yeah, a bit like writing a job application, really. Only you can yeah. be a bit more creative. <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't know. I've, I've seen no. some pretty creative CVs in my time. <laughs> yeah, me as well. <laughs> me as well. But yeah, it's been, it's been really, really good in sort of writing it around Christmas. I mean, obviously now it's going to be a bit of a different Christmas to what we'd all planned and totally different, I suppose, to what we'd all hoped for about three or four months ago. Well, completely different to what we all hoped for a week ago, to be fair, even. Well, yeah. It changes I mean. constantly and it's really difficult for everybody. Yeah, I do feel a bit sorry for Chris Rear though, because he's on the redundancy pile this year. Ha ha. <laughs> sorry, I couldn't help that. <laughs> Don't you start with your dad jokes. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I won't. <laughs> love it. Absolutely love it, really. Yeah. To be honest, I am actually looking forward to Christmas, even though it is going to be so totally different. I think it's just for a lot of people now, it's just going to be a bit of a, for those of, of them that, you know, that everybody that's been at work. I must admit, I mean, I remember when you were actually not working from home and going to work. It was a scary time for you, weren't it? Oh, every single day, because it's not just, well, I've got to go to work, so I'll go to work and I'll be safe and I'll keep my mask on and I'll stay away from people. You're also relying on all of the other people that you are interacting with all day to be doing the same thing. And when they don't, it puts you under pressure. It's quite a scary thing to do on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, it is. I mean, I'd like to sort of just say a bit of a thank you to to all the key workers, like all the NHS workers and the teachers and the supermarket workers, you know, distribution chains and things like that that have kept yeah. this country running this year. You know, a huge, huge, massive thank you. you yeah, know, at no small people. risk to themselves. So no, my thanks no, also. Yeah, at no small felt. risk to themselves. Yeah. So anyway, Christmas. Christmas. Different. Quieter. 
I yeah. think maybe a time to reflect a little bit and think about not just all the hardships that we're going through and all the things that we can't do, but maybe some of the things that we can do. And the fact that if we have a quiet Christmas this year, maybe next year, we get to see all of our loved ones and we'll all still be here to hug one another and have a good time together. Yeah, and I think that's an absolutely valid, valid point as well. Take it so, seriously. Yeah, I think everybody's got to. Yeah. And I suppose all, all we've got left to do then is just wish each other a Merry Christmas, to be honest. Yeah, Merry Christmas to all of our listeners, first off. Thank you for being with us. Have yourselves the best Christmas you can have, but do please stay safe, everybody. Yeah, Merry Christmas, everybody, and stay safe. Yeah, stay safe. And Merry Christmas, April. Merry Christmas, Daisy. We have been Daisy Ray and April Berry. Come share your opinions about the podcast, our authors and their books on Instagram and Facebook at Bear Books Podcast or Twitter at Bear Books Pod One. Submit your book for a possible future review to submissions at bearbooks.co.uk or if you've got any queries or any comments, email them to contact us at bearbooks.co.uk. Thanks to Simon Strong for the musical interludes. You can find him on Instagram at dadnap.mp3. And if you like what we do here, subscribe and share. Thanks for listening. What was it I read the other day? You can't polish a turd, but you can roll it in glitter. <laughs> oh my god! That's just that's gross. I thought it was hilarious. I did as well. I read that one. <laughs> very good. I thought it was very good. Very apt. That's twenty twenty. That is. <laughs>